0: very first service back in here, if those of you remember, and this is the story that I preached on on that particular Sunday. I'll never forget it. It was a a beautiful time to come back, and I preached about the four men carrying their friend to Jesus, even in the midst of his own brokenness. So it kind of was uh, nostalgic to read this. So as they were all gathered, there was no room for them, and they brought to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let, him, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're claiming Jesus is blaspheming and he is claiming to be God And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, you may also know him as Matthew, who wrote the gospel according to Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So that's the text I want to read, and I want to stay right there, and I want to kind of break this down. And uh, going back to the beginning part of our reading, and then we'll kind of move, move along. So the first part is, the, the first section is the home. The home that Jesus is preaching in, in which these four friends carry this paralytic to him. And they lower the roof and they lay down the mat or the bed in which he was laying on. And, and then the next section will be Jesus calling Levi. And then the last section will be Jesus eating dinner. So that's the three sections. So let's go back to section number one, the home. What do you see about the home? Well, the home was full So this indicates to us that people are desiring to hear Jesus. They are desiring to see Jesus. They are desiring to bring their friends or their family to Jesus because maybe He will heal them. Maybe He will restore them. Maybe He will do a miracle for them. So these people are anxiously coming to hear Jesus preach and to teach and to see what Jesus is capable of doing. Kind of like the song we just sang about. Let my Jesus change your life. This is exactly what these people are doing. So the first question I pose is this are you filling the house because not only are people anxious to hear from Jesus but they're also bringing their friends and their family their neighbors and their their you know coworkers they're saying hey you've got to get to know this guy Because this guy did this, and this guy did that. And then he is preaching with authority, and he has authority in his teaching and his preaching that they have never seen. And he's performing miracles that they have never witnessed. And what they are doing is they are bringing all that they can, and they're dragging everyone to the house. So the question is this. We have to ask ourselves, are we filling the house? Are we filling the house? Are you bringing everyone you know, not just to this particular church, but bringing them to the Lord? Are we doing everything we can to see how many people we can bring into the presence of the Lord? Because it's not your witness that's ultimately going to change their heart and, and change their eternal destination. It is you leading them that's going to find them and surrender and submission to Jesus, in which that will change their heart and change their submission or change their eternal destination. But if we never put people in the house, they may never find themselves in the presence of the Lord, and they may never surrender to the Lord And they may find themselves eternally separated from Him. So we have to be very, very mindful of the fact that each and every Sunday that you come here, we ought to be looking to fill the house. Not just so that we can have every pew filled, but that people that we know can find themselves in the presence of the Lord and can receive the salvation that Jesus came to offer that's what we should be adamant about. That's what we should live with an urgency to see how many people we can lead to the Lord Jesus. Because these people are coming in crowds. And they are coming, and they are coming so many people that they can't even fit a man in the door because so many people are just waiting to hear what Jesus has to say or waiting to see what Jesus does. And then Jesus does something that was considered an abomination to the religious elites. He claims to be God. He claims not just to be a man, which is a great teacher or a prophet, but he actually claims to be God. This is where you and I must find ourselves coming to understand who Jesus was. Jesus was 100% man and at the same time 100% God. Jesus the Son is part of the Godhead. We know the Godhead is three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all three, but all one. So while Jesus was here on earth, you may hear some false teachers tell you that he he, um, he removed himself or he, he emptied himself from all of his deity to be put on all of humanity and humanity alone. However, that is completely heresy and that is false. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And he demonstrates here that he has the ability to forgive people of their sin. Now, Some people may ask, well, does this particular man tell us or from this particular story that any physical ailment I have, is it connected to sin? It could be, but also it could not be. We live in a broken world. So anytime you have an ailment, anytime you are sick, anytime you are ill, anytime you have any kind of physical uh, oppression in any way, it could be the result of your own sin. It could be. But it could also be the very result of a broken world that we live in. You and I live in a very broken world, and in this broken world comes sickness, disease, and ultimately death. So just because I am sick does not mean that God is trying to punish me, but it could. I don't know. That's between you and, and the Lord to figure out, and his ways are higher than your ways. However, what we do know is that in this particular man's case, he had yet been forgiven of his sin because Jesus has yet to go die on the cross, and this man was probably unlikely or unable to go to the temple and to offer sacrifices because he was paralyzed, so he probably just laid on a mat his entire life. So Jesus sees this man. He sees the faith that they possess in this in him, and he tells him that your sins are forgiven. So Jesus claims to be Divine. You and I must not question his deity. We must not question his authority. He has the authority to judge you or to condemn you for all of eternity. And one of these days you will stand before him and he will do so. He will reward you for your job well done, my good and faithful servant, or he will condemn you and tell you to depart from him for he did not know you. Jesus possesses that authority. He's able to heal our bodies, he's able to forgive us of our sin. And then we see the particular friends of this man. And here's what I would call these particular men. I would call these guys bed bearers. Bed bearers. These men were willing to sacrifice of their own time, their own energy, to carry their paralyzed man, knowing that if they could just get him to the feet of Jesus, that this man could be made new this man could receive strength in his body and he could possibly walk out of there so what do they do they go through the crowd they see that the door is clear the door is blocked off they can't get through the door they can't get through the window so they go on top of the roof and they break the roof apart and then lower their friend down into the presence of jesus so the next question i would ask you is are you a bed bearing person paul wrote in galatians chapter six that to fulfill the law of christ is to bear the burdens of one another to bear the burdens of one another. Do you and I sacrifice of our time, our energy, and our resources to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we sacrifice of our time, of our energy, and of our resources to find lost people and to carry them or to point them or to draw them to Jesus? You and I must be bed bearers. We must be willing to sacrifice of our time, our energy, and our resources for the good of other people by bringing them, pointing them, and guiding them to Jesus Christ because ultimately, He is the one to meet their needs. Yes, we can feed people. Yes, we can clothe people. But ultimately, there are times in life where we know people that need to just find themselves in the presence of Jesus. Are we willing to sacrifice of our time, energy, and resources? to bring them, to point them, and to lead them to the ultimate authority, which is Jesus. And these men do that. And what Jesus sees is their faith in Him, that they were willing to go. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, tell you this, that in this particular story, Jesus demonstrates that He has ultimate authority over sin and disease. And for all of us, we must understand that there is no human being that walks on this planet that has the ability to forgive us of our sin. None. None. There is no human being on this planet that has the ability or the capacity to manipulate or to plead with God or or kind of bring God to forgive us of our sin. That is between us and the Lord. But what we do see is that people are willing to carry their friends and possess faith that Jesus is able to redeem and to make new their friend. So we must do the same thing. We must believe in our hearts Truly that jesus is capable of saving this particular person or restoring that particular marriage and then bring them guide them Point them to christ because it is not your work that will save them It is not your work that will make their marriage new It is not your work that will give them the strength or the peace or the joy in which they lack It is ultimately christ, but it is your job sometimes to carry these people to him So are you a bed bearer? Next we see jesus in the second second section of this reading, as he goes and he goes out again and he's out by the sea and he sees Levi, or we may know him as Matthew. The name Levi here would likely indicate that he was from, he was from the Levite people, which were people that were to devote themselves to the work and the service of the Lord. People that would have worked in the temple and would have done God's work. But we see Levi as what? a tax collector. He was likely rejected by his people as he is seen as a traitor now. Matthew is a traitor because he has rejected his responsibility to do God's work as a Levite. Now he is a tax collector going to his own people and trying to get their money to give to the Roman Empire. And he is going and he is a tax collector that Jesus calls. And now what we see is this, and not just in this particular story, but in chapter 1, we see two other stories. This is now our third time in two chapters in which Jesus calls people to follow him. And let me just ask you this. If you were awake last week or if you read it or the week prior or if you were awake so far today, in each of these three times, what happened? They followed. They followed him. They left all behind and they chose to follow him. So these first two accounts in Matthew or Mark chapter 1 we see Jesus calling two sets of brothers that were originally fishermen. And he says, what? I'll make you fishers of men. Just follow me. And what do they do? They leave their boats, their nets, their father behind. They leave their family businesses behind and they choose to follow Jesus. Now, Levi, Matthew, a tax collector who was born in the Jewish family, is now called by Jesus to follow him. What does he do? He leaves. Did he... Probably grabbed the money and said, well, I guess, you know, this would be helpful. I, I don't know what he did, but he left. He left all behind and he chose to follow Jesus. So the question we have to ask is this. Are we truly devoted to following Jesus? I mean, do, are we truly devoted to following him, not knowing what tomorrow will look like? These men did not know what Jesus, what what following Jesus was going to entail. They didn't know where they were going to go. They didn't know what it was going to look like. But they were willing to leave all behind at the drop of a call just like that and to follow Him and to serve Him with all of who they were. Do we do the same? Or are we comfortable in following Jesus on Sunday morning, but not when it comes to our marriage or our free time or our resources, our finances? I mean, are we truly, fully devoted to following Him? And in order to call ourselves Christ's followers, we must be fully devoted to following Him, obeying His commands, and walking in step with His Spirit so that you and I are greater reflections of Him. We cannot claim to be Christ's followers, yet not be fully devoted to Him as Lord. And as I've said before, when Jesus is Lord, He is Lord of all. I cannot be lukewarm. I cannot be half-hearted because that will eternally separate me from Him. Now, I don't know what following Jesus is going to look like for me. You don't know what it's going to look like for you. Here's one thing I do know. Um, Mikhail and I watched this movie with our girls. A few few of their friends introduced us. And they have this segment where they sit around like a campfire. They say, uh, I don't know much, but this much I do know. And it was a really cool story, a really good movie on Netflix. And I don't like to endorse Netflix, but this is a good one. So one thing I do know is this. August 4th, 2048. Anybody know what's going on that date? Exactly. That's the date that I can retire from the Postal Service. <laughs> I know that. I can retire August 4th, 2048. If, you're not, if you need Common Core, you'll, you'll figure it out later. But let me just tell you, that's 25 and a half years from today. 25 and a half years I can retire with a full pension... But that's 25 years from now. 25 years. Some of y'all are thinking, oh, bless your heart. Because you've been there. You've done it. You've worked hard. Now you're getting closer to retirement. Some of you aren't even close to getting into your careers yet. So I have a leg on you. But that's 25 years. I don't even know that I'll be here in 25 years. I don't even know if this earth will be here in 25 years. I don't know. I pray to the Lord that He comes back. Although I wouldn't mind just enjoying two retirement weeks. Just let me go to the beach for two weeks and then Jesus come on back. But that's what I do know. And the reason I know is because due doing my time in service, buying back my Marine Corps time in service, that I can retire a full pension, and then I have my TSP contributions, and I have any kind of other investment in stock market exchanges, and I can retire with Social Security. If it's even there anymore, who knows what it'll look like. But I do know that on August 4th, 2048, the day before I turn 57, I can retire for good. Uh, but I don't know that I'll even be around then. So if I set my mind to what I want to do in life and what my goals are, and I'm not telling you not to have goals and dreams and aspire to work hard and to and to be wise with your time and your resources, but I do know this, that if you are fully devoted to following Jesus, you might be in a third world country six months from now. You might be preaching to people in a different country 10 years from now. I may not even be in Potosi on August 4th, 2048. So yes, I can set my mind on that thing, just like these fishermen probably set their minds, and just like Levi probably set his mind on, you know, if I could just do this for another 15 years, another 20, another 30 years, we can retire, we can move to the beach, and we can do this this. But we do not know these men were living lives probably not comfortably as many of us may live as they're working hard fishing Little did they know that years down the road they would be martyred for their faith But they were willing to do it little I would say if jesus would say hey peter I'm going to call you to be a fisherman and guess what about 25 years from now 30 years from now You're going to be crucified upside down (laughs) Do you think jesus is jumping out of the boat? Yeah, sign me up but they were fully devoted, and that's where we have to be. Are we fully devoted to following Jesus? Even if that means our dreams, our goals, and our aspirations in the future are never met. Even if that means we are martyred for our faith. Are we fully devoted to Him? Because it's comfortable here, isn't it? Here's my check for the week. Here's, here's my hour and ten minutes I gave, or two hours, because I went to Sunday school and I went here and then we had a great lunch. This is easy. This is easy. And, and, you know, we might join life group here and we might we might serve at this capacity. But there are brothers and sisters all around the world today being martyred for their faith. And they are still proclaiming the good news of the Lord. They are still declaring the goodness of God. And these particular men are called by Jesus to follow him. And they do. Have no idea that years down the road, they would be martyred, killed, slaughtered for their faith, thrown off buildings, beheaded, and crucified upside down. All for that. name. Are we devoted to that? Because if we aren't devoted to that, then we are probably half-hearted, lukewarm, just whenever it's convenient or comfortable, we will praise His name. But we must be willing, devoted, and committed to proclaiming the good news of Jesus, even if the government says it's illegal. Even if the government says the Bible is illegal. Even if it is sentenced to imprisonment, or even on the brink of death, are we devoted to following Jesus Christ? And then... In the last section, where it gets really interesting here, it's already been interesting when Jesus has this encounter with the scribes in the first part of our reading, but now we see Jesus reclining at the table with sinners, with tax collectors. And this sends the religious people into a frenzy. They are viewing jesus as god at the beginning of this and now he claims to have deity and he claims to be divine and now now he is lowering himself to the point of sitting with eating with and reclining at a table with sinners and tax collectors so to these religious scribes and pharisees most of them were probably present or at least heard the story of jesus saving this paralyzed man or, or forgiving of him of his sin and then redeeming his body. They, they were probably present and they saw it or they heard about it. Because something like that just doesn't go silent. They probably either witnessed it or heard. And now Jesus is sitting with a bunch of sinful people around the table. And then what does he do? He gives his justification for what is there. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call." not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. So for him to say, I came to call sinners, they would also view that as an abomination and as blasphemy because God is not going to call people who are sinners. God's going to call the religious elites, the people that present themselves to be holy, or the whitewashed tombs, as Jesus would call them. Jesus comes and He says, look, I did not come for the righteous. What did He say in another account? He's actually educating them on His purpose of coming, which was not to seek and to save the, the well, but to seek and to save the lost. Not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So Jesus is sitting at this table. And here's one thing we have to notice because so many people will twist this particular setting to justify their own means of participation in sinfulness. See, Jesus is not engaging in sinfulness with these people. He's engaging the sinner. And He is revealing revealing Himself to them. And He is drawing them to put their faith in Him. He is revealing himself to them. And what he is doing is he is engaging the sinners where they are in their sinfulness, not engaging in the sinfulness. So here's what you might see. You might hear a lot of people who use this story as a means justification for their own lives because they'll say, well, Jesus ate with sinners. Yeah, he did. He ate with sinners, but he did not engage in sinfulness. So, if you hear believers say, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm just doing what Jesus did and eating and eating with sinner, with sinners," what they are actually doing is they're trying to justify their own lives because so many people have a hard time truly engaging sinners and not engaging in the sinfulness that they are around. Because here's the reality: you and I, as believers, are going to find ourselves spending time with people who are non-believers. We must be very guarded and very cautious not to engage in their sinfulness, but to engage them. To draw them and to call them to faith in Christ. See, Jesus is here and he's eating. Jesus is not just eating, drinking and being merry. Certainly not but he is doing what he can to draw them out of their sinfulness and to put their faith in him, to follow him, to serve him, to worship him, and to exalt him. So we cannot use this story as a means of justification to say, well, I'm just eating with sinners and participating in sinfulness. But we must engage sinners. So if we were to surround ourselves only with Christians and never go out and engage sinners, then we would neglect our responsibility. But if we were to go out and to engage in sinfulness... Then we would also neglect our responsibility You and I are to let our light shine you and I are to engage sinners in their sinfulness into in hopes of drawing them out of it Not to just kind of enjoy it with them So jesus is there And he goes and he eats and all of these people are asking him Why are you doing this? And he says I came to call sinners Now if you were to look around this room what do you see? What do you see? A bunch of broken people that have either been redeemed by the Lord or are yet to be redeemed. That, that's who you are. That's who I am. I am at heart a sinful being. In my human nature, I despise obedience to God. In human sinful nature. But what I do know is this that I thank God that he called sinners like me, like you. There are people in this room right now that are only here because God's calling of another sinful person, redeeming them and making them new, and then that person drawing you out of your sinfulness to be where you are right now. I know that if it wasn't for my grandparents or other people truly bringing me to church and showing me the way in which I was supposed to live, I don't know what I would be doing. I don't know where we would be. I know that if it wasn't for my wife dragging my rear end to church every Sunday for the first few months of marriage, regardless of what Saturday night looked like, making sure I was up and going to church, I don't know what I would be having interest in. But what I do know is this, God calls and uses sinners for His perfect plan. And I praise God for that. I will praise His name forever because He called me out of my sinfulness right where I was, as messy as it was, as broken as I was, as darkened by sin and shame as I was. And what did He do? He drew me out of it and He called me out of it and He redeemed me. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, a genuine believer in Jesus, then you ought to praise the Lord because He drew you out of your sinfulness and He came to call people like you. He came to call me out of my sinfulness and to make me new and The old things have passed away and behold, new have come because I am now a new creation. And if you were to look around here, there are people in this place that were one time lost and dead in their sins and trespasses, but because of other sinners like you and me who preached the gospel and brought them to church, pointed them to Christ, God was able to save them and to redeem them too. So because of Jesus calling sinners like me, I have nothing else but to do this one thing responsibility the rest of my life to proclaim the good news of christ and to preach the goodness of my god because for those of you that don't know we were supposed to end service a little bit differently when it came to song selection we were supposed to end with how great thou art which was an awesome song and i was going to end my sermon with talking about how great he really is but let's just think for a moment just how great Our Savior really is. If you are here today and you've experienced the forgiveness of God, you have more than enough reason to praise the Lord. I mean, praise His name. Not just... That was a good song. I mean, to be on your face daily, to be in His Word daily, to sing songs of praise to Him daily, because you have received the forgiveness of your sin. And the forgiveness of your sin saves you from the wages of your sin, which is eternal punishment, which is eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. If you are here today and you have been used to lead other people to Christ, if He has used you to meet the needs of people, to bear the beds of people, or to meet the needs, then you have reason to praise the Lord. You have more than enough reason to praise His name. And if you're here today and you have been blessed by God in one way or another, see the man at the beginning of our reading, he was paralyzed and he walked away. His life was changed forever. If your life has ever been blessed or changed by the Lord and you have new hobbies, you have new dreams, you have new hope that is everlasting, you have more than enough reason to praise the Lord. So I say all that to tell you, if you are here today and you are a follower of Christ, you have more than enough reason daily to praise His name. Now, if you're here today and you, would be, and you would say, I've never asked God to forgive me of my sin, and you are here today and you just continue to live in your sinfulness, let me just bring this one thing up. That Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. To call sinners if you are here today and if you were to be honest with yourself and say i'm still living in my sinfulness Therefore, I am still a sinner Maybe you come to church Maybe you visit from time to time and the word of god and the spirit of god has been drawing you to him Let me just plead with you to respond to that call See levi shows us that when jesus called him he left immediately and he went Regardless of who he was, regardless of what he went, what he had done, he just left everything and went. And that is essentially what Jesus desires from us, that as he draws us and calls us to himself, that we would too also just go just to surrender ourselves completely to him, because this is what we desire for you. If you're here today and you would say, I am still a sinner in need of being saved, we we would love nothing but to see you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, be baptized in his name, and receive his gift of his Holy Spirit. That's what we want to see for you. We want to see you drawn out, called out of your sinfulness, and be made new in the presence and the name of Jesus. That's what we desire. We If you want to give money, that's great. If you want to serve your time, that is incredible. We will take all of it and we will use it and we will steward it as his body. But we want nothing but this for you, for you to be new, for you to be raised to life in Christ, for you to be drawn out of your sinfulness and to receive the amazing forgiveness that Jesus has the authority to give and the eternal life that Jesus possesses in his hand. That's what we hope for you. So if you're here today and you would say, I am a sinner, I want to be saved, I need to be saved, I would plead with you to find me, find our church leadership, and we want to point you to the Lord. Because it's not my prayer that saves you. I could ask every bow to be, every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed, and you just pray this little prayer and then just go on your way. I could ask you to do that. But that would be my prayer guiding you. Your salvation is to be worked out between you and the Lord with fear and trembling. We can guide you and we can point you. But with fear and trembling, you work out your own salvation by believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, being buried in baptism in his name, being raised to life in Christ, and being gifted with fullness his spirit. Let's pray.